boys and girls, Giant Time is here. That's right! This is Friday the 13th, Part 6, on Kill by Kill. Well, greetings and salutations, Internet. It's your old pal, Patrick Hamilton, coming to you once again from Camp Crystal Lake or Forest Green or whatever we've decided to call it this week. Anyways, we are the Kill by Kill podcast where we are dedicated to celebrating the least discussed component of any horror film, the characters. We will be unpacking all the gory details of Friday the 13th Part 6, Jason Lives, with the hopes that a camper's untimely end is just the beginning of the jokes we can make about them. And as always, the only person that I trust to give me the true meaning of Native American trail markers, the one and only Gina Radcliffe. How are you doing, Gina? I'm good, Patrick. I I watched our clip that we're reviewing this evening and i gotta say this is a a much more uh economical i, I mean jason's been using the pomodoro technique he's really <laughs> just just taking out as many people as he possibly can with it with an efficiency that is really impressive and a little enviable there's something about sitting in your own desiccated husk that makes you more efficient in the afterlife perhaps he has got his shit together. I mean, he's just <laughs> moving back and forth through through those trees and just you take it out two or three or even four people at once. It's it's really is a sight to see. But for the Voorhees family, I think he might be the crown jewel at this point. It it only took being dying and then coming back and then dying and then coming back to make it happen. But you know, third time's the charm. What the hey? Well, folks, we're not alone, thank goodness. For this particular section of the movie? No, no. Uh, I'm so thrilled to have this guest on. He's a comedian and host of My Neighbors Are Dead. It's the one and only Adam Peacock. How you doing, sir? I'm very well, Patrick. How are you? I'm excellent today. I'm so happy you're here. Great. Oh, you're... I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you both for having me on. It's our pleasure. You know, when I was alerted to your podcast's existence, I became fearful. The fear was unfounded, but here was my fear nonetheless. <laughs> my fear was we were doing the same podcast. It turns out, I believe, that we are orbiting the same planet from completely different satellites. Why don't you describe to our listeners who might not have gotten a chance to listen to yours yet what you guys do over there? Well, on My Neighbors Are Dead, we get a chance to, instead of uh, bringing the actual murder victims you get to see on there, we bring you people who you might not get a chance to get to talk to um you know, like the neighbor of the Myers house who had to live next door to all that stuff that was going on and never really got to tell their tale. So we get to explore, you know, their side of the story and get to hear how all that stuff affected them. Now, on your episode for Friday the 13th, you had on two comedians who uh, took on the guys of uh, counselors from a religious camp across the lake. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yep. Uh, yes, yeah, Susan and Rachel, yeah, the boys, yeah. A very religious camp across the lake. Camp Extremely lake. religious. They, yeah. They had real problems with anything happening inside their pants or anyone oh, else's pants. Yeah. Bonfires. And just can't, can't get enough of the Lord across the camp over there. <laughs> just can't get enough of I love your podcast. And I, I thought, I have to have this person on. They this were brutal. Is... They, oh, they were. I, they thought everybody deserved it. And of the people that we're going to talk about today, I feel there's only really one person who deserves what they get in this episode of what we're going to talk about today. <laughs> Unlike some Friday the 13th where it's a, let's say, oh, we're doing it again. 
part five. Part five presents almost exclusively a whole host of people that you want dead, regardless of whether or not any sort of Jason variant appears on screen. Yeah, absolutely. Here, not so much. We generally enjoy these people. Although the the characters we'll be discussing today, for the most part, are ever so briefly on screen. Pretty much they exist for... <laughs> Maybe three or four minutes. Yeah, it's it's very strange. <laughs> and for almost no reason at all. <laughs> it, it almost feels, and I might be proven wrong by reality here, but I'm just going to postulate something. It feels and looks like these were, this was a pickup sequence. It, this does not look like the Georgia woods that were presented with for the rest of the film. It was filmed in Georgia and there's a very specific look to it. Whereas once we get to the deaths we'll be discussing here, it appears to be taking place in the Hollywood or Malibu Hills. (laughs) (laughs) Everything is drier. Everything is bushier. And it doesn't quite look like the rest of the movie. I'm wondering if Paramount asked them to up the body count. I was going to say that they got back from the uh, screeners and it's in big letters. It needs more kills. Yeah. Get rid of fat Jason. And we just learned this last week, last episode, uh, that the Jason in the paintball sequence uh, was one particular stuntman who was replaced because Paramount felt that he looked too husky. Come on, is that real? He just had a little too much water weight for someone who had just been risen from the dead as a skeleton. (laughs) That poor guy. Can you imagine? I got let go from Friday the 13th because I'm too fat. (laughs) <laughs> they don't even see my face or anything. Yeah, I can't even see no. it. <laughs> yeah. Here's the one thing about a hockey mask. It's not good at covering up a double chin. That Who is, did we know? That is very true, yeah. That's very true. Uh, <laughs> so, like we always do here on uh, Kill by Kill, we like to uh, give you a quick body count to let you know who's still left alive at this point in the movie. And we're going to start off with Tommy Jarvis 3.0 whose plan to stop his hallucinations by lighting a corpse on fire failed so spectacularly that it boggles the mind he isn't a Trump (laughs) relative. And now we have Megan Garris. Uh, Now, she's the lead counselor uh, at the camp, and she's also a board-certified 80s girlfriend. You can check for the union seal and everything. Uh, We also have her father, Sheriff Garris, and he has two modes, shouting... And extra shouting. <laughs> He's uh, got a great catchphrase too. Uh, I had I had never heard this before, and I don't know if you guys caught this or if, I had never heard a police officer say "turn on the lights and sirens" by saying "hit the hit noise in the cherries and the cherries yes. and yeah. the cherries." I had never heard that before. Yeah, I was thinking, I was like, did they make that up as some sort of like cop speak? I I mean, probably not, but it's probably some small town thing. But it's like, can't you just say "hit the lights"? Yeah. All the other cops grounds you in the world. (laughs) All the other cops like, oh, just just go with it. He's the chief. We got to do what he says. (laughs) Yeah, he had one ride along with a a local (laughs) yokel, and he picked up picked up this stuff. And now we're all gonna have to suffer through it. Uh, And then we have his cohort uh, on duty. That's Deputy Thornton, and he's the kind of guy who I I promise you has mail ordered way worse things than a laser pistol scope. I promise you. (laughs) <laughs> the, the his house is probably like half cardboard furniture and half dungeon. 
He's real Ed Gein. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's entirely possible. He just had, yeah. he just he's projecting the type and I'm picking up on the vibes. Now let's <laughs> uh let's move over to our our camp counselors and we're going to start with Sissy. Now, she is a camp counselor who may be building an extra head on top of her own head comprised solely of hair. It's kind of a medical experiment. Uh, And then we have Paula, a character who is inserted into this film by Paramount primarily to confuse farsighted people into thinking Molly Ringwald is in it. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, wow. She very much has that Molly and 16 Candles look going on with like the kind of poodle haircut and like the chunky, the the chunky jeweled earrings. Yeah, you're right. That's absolutely a Molly Ringwald thing. Yeah, the casting director totally got that note. They were looking for a Molly Ringwald type and when they reached out to ringwald's people they're like oh fuck no (laughs) we're we're making real movies in chicago i don't have time for this shit and they're like oh find someone who looks almost exactly like her but not and that that leaves us of course with uh court and uh fun fact the best yeah this is a little known fact about uh court is that uh court is actually short for court martial That's, uh, I might not have looked up the right information on that. <laughs> I mean, he looks like a guy who'd be court-martialed from something. <laughs> I I think from pants class. I, yeah. I, we discussed this at length, but his pants sort of don't qualify as pants. They're almost like a an open breezeway that's solely meant to cover his ass, and that's about it. Like he Nelson was like, "Ooh, that's too shredded a pair of pants for me." <laughs> yeah, they they look like they. He looked like he dug the pants off of a off of an accident victim that he just found like in a ditch on the side of the road on the way to the to the campsite. <laughs> so they may have some corpse juice, is what you're saying, Gina. I think they might be covered in a little corpse juice. And I have to tell you, I'm looking at the the wiki for whatever reason. Court is supposed to be short for Carter because, of course, his real name is given as Carter James Andrews. And they're so going with Court. Court. And and, and they Carter. do. And Patrick, I know I said that they uh, that this isn't as extensive as past as wikis for past movies. Mm-hmm. They do mention that he has parents. Would oh like no! To, would you like to take a wild guess what his parents' names are? Um. Well, <laughs> Mister and Mrs. Anderson or An- Andrews. Andrews. Mr. Now he's he, he's also listed as having siblings. Which does he ever mention having siblings? I don't think he does. No, not to my knowledge. No. Does, does he has a a younger sister named Kara, and a brother named David, which is apparently just completely made up by the person that did this wiki page. To flesh out this character. In That's this... a deep character Bible on court, man. They really bet the farm on this guy. <laughs> yeah, they don't list anything else about his life or anything. They just decided to give him these these made-from-whole-cloth siblings. Well, what more do we need to know about his life? He is a bit of an open book in the sense that I can see so many openings in his book in the clothes that he wears <laughs> and, and he's clearly he's clearly a music lover as as evidenced oh, yeah. by the, the the headphones that never leave his body i'm pretty sure not even during sex which is a little weird but i guess that's the 80s for you is it i mean i'll i'll grant you i i, I personally don't have a ton of experience of having there is at sex least in the 80s, there's at I, least one other movie i could think of right off the top of my head where someone keeps their headphones on during sex and that is the terminator 
Well, and Gina, isn't it true? Doesn't his love of music is, is is really pronounced because isn't when he's driving that motorhome super fast and his girlfriend's begging him to slow down, he shouts out, "I want to rock." <laughs> yes, he, he cannot. He has the music so loud that he cannot hear his girlfriend kind of i guess her face being slammed so hard oh. into the side of the 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 rv that her face presses through what kind of material is that well we're jumping ahead but it's like like a heavy duty plastic that's how loud he has his music this guy's yeah. a piece of shit you, you presume presumably <laughs> something like scritty politty or something very <laughs> something very very 80s catching up with depeche mode <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I can't remember what it is. I don't believe it is the man behind the mask, the Alice Cooper song that that. No, I think that's only during this. the. I think that's only during the end credits. Oh, so that's the bit of plot rock for. <laughs> we're, we're gonna have to do an in-depth analysis of the man behind the mask at some point. Yes, we we owe Alice Cooper's many many fan that. Uh, <laughs> that's not true. He has we're gonna fans. get we're gonna get letters for that. It, oh. it, is, it is a joke. We He's a hell of a golfer, golf. though. Oh, he is. The documentary about him was fantastic. He was gonna do a soft rock album at some point with the guy who was the songwriter behind Meatloaf, Jim Steinman. Is, yes, that that because could you really because something like Alice Cooper could really benefit from someone really theatrical <laughs> like Jim Steinman, someone who who really believes in subtlety and 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 good taste and 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 you know very very uh you know kind of gentle and not at all over the top production values yeah that's what the world needed at that moment was a seven and a half minute soft rock song from alice cooper uh but they were unable to complete it because they were both uh whacked out of their minds on cocaine so we'll never have that Oh, it's the best. Yeah. Isn't well, when else the would best? you? What other what other circumstances would you make a collaborative album between Alice Cooper and Jim Steinman when you're not both completely constantly fucking high on cocaine? <laughs> no, if I were an album executive and I had learned that they were not on cocaine, I would ship some cocaine to them because <laughs> Co- that could only help. Cocaine and a blank check. <laughs> Just backing up a garbage um, truck full of money. <laughs> Uh, so let's get into it where we we stopped, which is the the all the deaths connected to the paintball uh, sequence. Uh, the next thing that we run into is Tommy Jarvis 3.0 leading the sheriff and his deputy on a slowish speed chase. I mean, they try <laughs> to make it seem like they've stepped it up a notch, but really feels like they're going about 35 miles per hour. In fact, I think maybe OJ might have had more success evading the police than Tommy did. (laughs) But his main goal was the same, and that is to lead the sheriff to what he believes is Jason's open grave. And after a very elaborate downward-descending crane shot from director Tom McLaughlin, we finally get Tommy captured and handcuffed and we discover that our high school graduate slash groundskeeper Marvin has filled in the grave. Oh. And therefore, Tommy looks even more insane than he actually is clinically insane. <laughs> our high school graduate broke my heart. That, that oh my God. Just, uh, I, 
He called, what does he think? I'm a fart head? Have you ever heard that colloquialism? Never before. before. I've never heard anybody call themselves or anyone else a fart head. That, that, that sounds like what they would use to replace a swear word when they, when they put a, a tele, when they put a movie yeah. on television. Mm-hmm. Like when, um, one famous one that actually just infuriated me was, uh, at the end of Kill Bill 2, when they have Bill saying, you're not a bad person. You're my favorite person. But sometimes you could be a real sore head. <laughs> and I'm like, that's not how that goes. Sore. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> a sore head? I mean, you can't say, I mean, I would have settled for bitch. I mean, I mean, it's it still takes away from the impact of the, the phrase, but sore head, that's like something you would hear in an Archie comic. A, a fart, a fart head sounds like what, like one little brother gets in trouble for calling his other little brother, or you know what I mean? Like that's yeah. What was the phrase in ET? I think he called him like he called his brother penis breath or something like that. Yes. That's that's basically on the along the same lines. <laughs> penis breath, at least I don't know, has a a certain je ne sais quoi. <laughs> yeah. I... It's got a little, it's got a little gay, it's got a little gay panic in it. Whereas, whereas, oh, whereas and what more could you want in yeah. an eighties movie? Very subtle gay panic. Very subtle <laughs> undertones of gay panic. Yes. You just got that one French cook who does that elaborate salting. Yep. That's what that is over every eighties movie. Just a little flamboyant a, a, a salting. Soup, a soup, a soup son of le panique homosexuale. That's right. That's right. Uh, but yeah, at least this... it went away though in the nineties and now, right? Oh no, yeah. we never heard of it yep. again. We got over that quick. Everyone woke up super fast <laughs> yeah. as soon as, as soon as the our calendar switched yeah. over to nine. Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, and so uh, yeah, there's not a lot of suspense to that particular chase sequence. Um, in fact, I, I think maybe I was more worried about who would win the cannonball run. <laughs> than whether the, or not Tommy would get caught by the sheriff. Or the gumball rally. <laughs> and he's very, like, cool. Like He's like Jake the Snake Roberts, cool, calm, collected as he's driving from these cops. Like, he has no cares. It's great. <laughs> I've like yeah, he, he he's pulled he's pulled it together since uh since part five part yeah. five he was just like a, a a quivering ball of of ticks and and barely repressed rage now he, he's pretty uh, he's pretty chill yeah here. he's yeah. He's a, I mean, in part five, he's hypnotized by a blinking sign. That's how. <laughs> in, that's how far gone he is. He stares at a neon sign like, "You hold all the answers," <laughs> and then we get to watch it as if that is a movie. All right, enough shitting on part five. For never, no, I know. <laughs> It's what we're known for. And of course, that that brings us to uh, Martin, our graveyard groundskeeper. Quick question. Have you ever known anyone who's named their alcohol? I know I have known people who have named uh, their cars. And I know people who occasionally have have named their bikes. But no one, I haven't run into the alcoholic yet. And I live in Los Angeles. And you work in show their own pet name for alcohol. And and you work in show business, so you probably deal with functional alcoholics on a daily basis. Yes. I mean, it doesn't pop up so much on email, but. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, I'm shithoused. Just wanted to let you know. Except for those that occasionally end, it's a jumble of B's and H's. And, yeah. yeah, right. It's a lot of a lot of digital slurring. 
Now, I have to wonder, does he name each new bottle? Like, well, that, goodbye, Sheila. That's a great this, question, Gina. This, 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 is, this, is Mil- this is Mildred now. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, how? I wonder what is it, the impetus for this. It's like that uh, that Norman Rockwell painting where the guy's getting the woman's tattoo, name tattooed his arm. And there's like just a series of names down his arm. They're all like crossed out. <laughs> There's a lot of loneliness in Martin, though. Something <laughs> awful happened to this guy. Is there ever, is there ever like a, a graveyard caretaker that lives a happy life? I, at least in a movie, though. Not no. You're absolutely right. I don't think so. At least in movies, it's not a road to good times. It's not a happy life, and it's not a long life. No. Although I think Martin has seen some shit oh yeah i mean it, he was a day away from his his liver rupturing anyway so i mean really <laughs> J- jason did him a favor <laughs> yeah he I might mean, have actually had his liver ruptured during that whole sequence we don't know <laughs> like he and his buddies um, when they were kids accidentally killed a drifter and that's why he drinks that much and like, <laughs> so like he's got to block that considering out considering all the dead bodies that end up in that town yeah i mean probably get away with murder rather easily because it just everyone assumes oh that's another one of the vorkies families yeah but chalk it up to that yeah but you got to go to bed at night and those dreams they they don't go away <laughs> not without old sheila or or maribel or whatever we were calling the bottles <laughs> Now, his fart head comment brought up something that seems to be pervasive in this movie, and that is the prelap. Now, for those of you who don't know what a prelap is, the actual definition is a, it's a screenwriting term that means that the dialogue from the next scene precedes the cut. It's a bridging element, okay? 30 Rock was a big use of, of prelaps, where someone would say something and then, boom, the next scene would comment on it. This movie is filled with that. <laughs> so when Martin asks, what do you think? I'm a, a fart head. We then get the answer from a gaggle of girls who are all shouting. Yes. <laughs> uh, and I don't know how I feel about it. This is probably the campiest sequence. No pun intended. Uh, uh, there's the a lot. There, there's a lot of winking at the audience in this. I mean, right down to... You know, Martin looking at the bottle and saying, yep, you're going to be the death of me. Oh, my God, Gina. Yes, I wrote it down. I have it in my notes. Yes. <clears throat> what is you're going to be the death of me. But what a way to go. I Like what? Just drunk out of your mind all the time. And then we get to see Megan's improv skills during this. And I think she probably I think she'd do OK in a class and a level one. <laughs> Because you'd have a lot of thirsty dudes in there that would be okay with it. <laughs> yeah. If if I know my improv teams, um, I'm gonna go ahead and say you do, buddy. You do. You know. You're, you know. You're, you're, you're. Uh, but she's not exactly highly skilled. She's not gonna make the Saturday Company anytime soon. Well, she's got her. She's got her company members. Yes, and in her from the back. That's true. I, I don't know what the chicken dance is meant to evoke. That some of one of the sly signals that Sissy sends her way. I I don't know what she's trying to communicate, but it doesn't really get across. We then learn uh, through Sissy and Paula having a bit of a conversation. Paula asks where Court is, and Sissy responds, "Oh, he's participating in my favorite sport." And Paula asks, 
what is that? And she responds, boy scouting, honey. <laughs> yeah, I what wondered about that. What sport is boy scouting, honey? I, I feel like that there was supposed to be a different line there and maybe she forgot or, or was or trying to improvise herself. Or nobody but... just gave a shit and just was like, ah, fuck it, move on. <laughs> yeah, basically. I, I, I was watching these camping sequence, sequences and I, I was concerned because I think even with Lisbeth and Darren was the, the two counselors that were killed at the beginning. This is a severely understaffed camp. They're, it's they're, supposed th- to be a week. They do say it's a weekend camp. So these yeah, people aren't but, there for a long term, but, but, but there's, there's like, a shitload of girls. There's about, there's maybe 10 kids for every one adult. Uh, I, I don't see a, a nurse. I don't even see anybody who's cooking. <laughs> yeah, who's cooking? Yeah. Who is cooking for these children? Where are they eating? And then they, like, as we covered in the last episode, like, the bus shows up and just deposits them without anybody coming out and checking anybody's names or making sure all the kids got off the bus. And no one ha- passes on paperwork? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> P- Patrick, you have a small child. It's like, you have to be, you, you have to go through some sort of, you know, FBI background check before you can chaperone a trip to the zoo. I mean, I realize that our 80s childhoods were extremely permissive, but they weren't that permissive. It- it, apparently they are in forest grain. This is where parental guidance goes to die, along with a lot of camp counselors. Let's get into Court's explanation of Indian trail markers. Oh, they're just so sensitive and so <laughs> just respectful to the Native American people. <laughs> hey, hey, at least they didn't have some sort of low pipe pan flutes in the background <laughs> while, while he's explaining this. <laughs> I mean, there there are no tomahawk chops, and no one adopts a mohawk. Oh um, God! No one, but... no one smacks their mouth by going and going. Woo, 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 woo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It avoids some of the Peter Pan pitfalls. That being said, it does manage to both be insanely racist and misogynist. At the same time, almost as if he is ahead of his time or actually perfect in his time. I can't decide which. As a Boy Scout myself, have I said that I was the third youngest Eagle Scout in all of California history at the time that I earned the rank, Gina? I think you have mentioned that before, but it's relevant to mention again. Wow, that's very impressive. It is impressive until you understand that the reason I did it was to get the fuck out of Boy Scouting. Okay. (laughs) It was the only way out. The only way out was through. And so I just sped through. No girls wanted to talk to me. So I just ran through all the merit badges that I needed to get. And then lo and behold, zim, zim, zim. I don't have to do that shit anymore. (laughs) But I did learn how to do trail markers. And orienteering was like one of the few merit badges I actually enjoyed participating in. And... I don't know that it was explained to me as a way for sons to meet up with their fathers so they can learn how to kill a buffalo or whatever fucking shit they want to do, which is how court delivers that particular line and as yeah. beautifully culturally sensitive. <laughs> whatever fucking shit they want to do. <laughs> whatever they're into. Yeah. Is another one yeah. that he lobs off. I just, I, as far as I'm aware, it was never presented to me as a way to get around child uh, raising or avoiding your ex-wife. <laughs> that, 
you know, missed that part of the. Did the you merit did badge. you really get to complete training and earning that merit badge? I think you you may have found it lacking somewhere. It's entirely possible. I mean, there were uh, a counselor to every seven or eight of us, so it was more densely packed. Maybe I just got a loser. <laughs> Who's to say? When I taught sailing, I should not have been teaching sailing to anybody. I, in fact, knew how to sail, but that didn't mean that I should have taken small kids out on a lake <laughs> and and acted as a, some sort of authority figure in how to sail. And yet, all those kids lived, so there we go. Did they just bus a bunch of kids to you and not even just they drop them off and like, we'll be back in six hours? Your parent? No, there was a, <laughs> there was a lot more to it. There was paperwork passed. Oh, okay, so that's much better. Counts. Okay, great. So this, yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's Good. what I expected rather than just driving up with a bus full of 30 children and say, all right, get the fuck off. <laughs> and that's only two years later. That was 1988. So who's to say maybe... You know, this led to some sort of summer camp reform. Maybe some good came of this. Yeah, yeah. Your, pa- I would, I'd like to see a movie with the parents of this movie's kids, like not knowing where their kids are for like forty-eight hours. <laughs> like, cause, w- well, we put them on a bus. Well, and yeah, we think it was the right bus. I thought then you, we got yeah. drunk. Yeah. <laughs> we thought we were sending them to the meatballs camp. <laughs> Oh, it's not the meatballs camp? Oh god. Oh, oh no. That was the bus that's the bus that said Canada. We said the bus to New Jersey. No. Oh, you know, god, to the place I'm... where that serial killer used to kill people. Oh, the... but that was in town, it's, it's, right? No, no, no. It's, it's, it's summer camps. It's fine now. We changed the name. Yeah. It's no, one no guy one. Rick's just trying to be the best stepdad he can be, but he keeps blowing it at every turn. <laughs> Honey, I found the perfect place for Jeremy to go. He's going to be gone for five whole days. They take off on Thursday, and they they don't come back till Tuesday. We, who knows what we could do, you know? Like, you know, we would have the house all to ourselves. And she's like, yeah, all right, yeah. But, like, where is this place? Oh, New Jersey, Forest Green. Never heard of it. Maybe you know it by its previous name, Camp Blood. <laughs> Is, is that it's like it was that like a, a Native American name? No, 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 no. It's where that woman went nuts and killed a bunch of people, and then her son came back from the dead and finished the job. <laughs> and then, and then another, his... then another guy killed some more people. <laughs> <laughs> but he was an ambulance driver. He's completely disconnected to it. But he did have a lot of news articles about it. Anyway, God, can't you see? I'm trying. <laughs> Listen, God. this is what we can get on short notice. God, God damn it, Karen. I don't work 70 hours a week to be judged by you. <laughs> you said to be spontaneous. You said to be involved in his life. And I don't want to be involved in his life. But I can get him out of our life for five days. Maybe you were right. This was more work than I thought it was going to be. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to my sister's in Tulsa for a couple of days. I'll call you. <laughs> and then she's just alone for the weekend. <laughs> And still doesn't know where kid is. Still doesn't know where fucker is. <laughs> no, he got on the bus anyways. I mean, that still happened. <laughs> oh, 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 boy. Kill, 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 kill. Break, 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 break. 
I'm Clint. And I'm Jared. And we're the hosts of the podcast, Alcoholywood. Your source for inebriation. Which you're not listening to right now, because this is just a promo for a weekly podcast on all kinds of movies. New, old, good, bad. Yeah, especially bad. Plus, we invent a cocktail and a drinking game inspired by each film. And sometimes we make jokes. Not this time, but sometimes. Subscribe to us on your favorite podcatcher and check out the whole shebang at alcoholywood.com. Well, hey there, hi there, ho there, killers, it's your old pal Patrick Hamilton, and we're doing some quick housekeeping uh, assignments here on the Kill by Kill podcast. Now, if you leave us a five-star review on iTunes and you tell us what your favorite kill is, it is our solemn vow to read it here on the air, and lucky for us, listener B. Twisted, who we talk to a lot on Twitter, uh, reminds us of the fantastic kill from the reboot, which uh, a woman is burned alive inside of her own sleeping bag. Uh, and I, I love that kill. I, this is making me excited to revisit the remake, which I don't think I've seen since I saw it in the theater. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Thanks, Be Twisted. Uh, we also have a kind review from Laura Song 100. Uh, she does not leave us uh, her favorite kill, uh, but we appreciate her nonetheless. If you have a favorite kill in the Friday the 13th series and you'd like to hear it uh, read here on the air, just leave us a five-star review on iTunes and we can make that happen. Hey, do you like podcasts? Do you like great podcasts? Why don't you head to patreon.com slash ear trumpet and you can help support all of the ear trumpet family and our podcast. Now we will be offering some special things for Patreons. We haven't exactly determined what those are yet, but they will be coming in a few weeks. We'll probably announce them around anniversary time. And I think you're going to be really happy with them. We sure appreciate all of your support, whether or not that you donate or you don't, that you listen is enough for us. Thanks ever so much. And now the body count continues. Kill, 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 kill. Break, 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 break. So we next meet up with Martin in the middle of the night. We switch back and forth between Martin and a couple named Stephen and Annette, but we will get to them because we should give them their due on their own time. But let's finish up with Martin. He's wandering through the forest, which, as we've said before, is lit up like a Hollywood premieres behind every single bush. <laughs> so you can see, and there's nothing scarier than being able to see everything in a forest at night. And he's wandering along, and we get a, a selection uh, from Martin's latest album, the Public Domain American Songbook. And I think this is where <laughs> I think this is where Kathleen comes along because he does say Kathleen in in the in the song but um that's we get him lamenting that he's run out of alcohol here's there's two things that happen here one is that he is distracted by a rolling rock <laughs> yeah it just kind of he, rolls into the frame like a like a hubcap off a car just crash. <laughs> he sure is distracted by a rock <laughs> now i'll say if a rock came out of nowhere next to me I would go, huh. But he examines it like it might be the solution to all of his problems. What? And it actually might be. <laughs> yeah, it could be, yeah. 
And well, and the way they set it up too, it's it's shot in such a way that like it almost looks like it could be a head. You know, we're like <laughs> it's like maybe Jason's messing with him a little bit, but like it, it no, it's just a fucking rock. <laughs> like you're yeah. you're in the woods. But this was a character who up until this very point, let's take Roy from part five out of the equation. He has been able to jump up and down second story houses. He's been able to be just around the corner when you don't expect it. The one sort of tactic we've never seen Jason take on is distract a drunk with a rolling (laughs) rock. (laughs) Up until this particular moment. But it works. And then again, Martin then, you know, laments his, his lack of alcohol and decides to toss his bottle into the air. And we never hear it crash because, and he really tossed him. That that was quite a lob. We are now to believe that Jason Voorhees is some sort of Harlem Globetrotter who, <laughs> at at the halfway at the half court, has leapt up, grabbed this glass, and come back down with it silently. He then breaks it in his hands and. Dabs Martin in the throat with it? The chesticle? Right. We're not really th- sure. Yeah. We don't get a clear shot of it. Now, that's a pretty grody shot where he's laying on the ground and like the blood, the blood's like pouring out of the the neck of the bottle. That that's kind of that was kind of gross. His eyes are yeah. all wide open and too. Yeah, it's very. I felt bad for Martin. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't. He deserved to go that way. He he should have died in his sleep of late stage cirrhosis, like God intended him to. Yeah, he exactly. just yeah, he just should have leave him alone. Maybe that's why he's uh, a drunk. Maybe like you know he was a baseball pitcher and then he had to have Tommy John's and then his career just went into shitter and that's why he's so good at throwing <laughs> that bottle up in the air. Yeah, R.I.P.D. Martin. Um, yeah. You're gone, and you will probably be missed by the guy who runs that cemetery, because now he's got to hire a whole new high school graduate. (laughs) A whole new high school graduate. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there don't seem to be any actual young people living in that town. They're all, like, imported from other towns. That's right. Yeah. Well, a lot of them have been are in that cemetery at this point. Yeah, that that is true. Most of them are, are dead. So that brings us now to... Stephen and Annette. Now, this is a couple, and we're introduced to them in media res. Annette is holding up her hand and admiring a ring. And she's like, oh, it's beautiful. So we get a lot of, we're being asked a lot. Like, you, we, we assume that he's asked her to marry her in the forest in the middle of the night. <laughs> on, the, on the site of, of where multiple people were horrendously murdered. That, that again, that, 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 that again plays into what I mentioned in the last episode about how the characters seem to be treating the events of the first five movies like they happened a generation ago. It doesn't really make much sense. But they're, you know, like with the whole, oh, well, this this is a legend our parents told us about. And now it's like, yeah, I'm going to propose to my girlfriend you know, right in the middle of the woods where this horrifying series of murders took place sometime within the past 10 years. When he was describing how he was going to ask Annette to marry him to his friends or family, none of them said, oh, don't do it on a picnic blanket in the middle of fuck all. Like, you know, take her out to dinner or something. Yeah, This is not romantic. Light a candle. (laughs) Something. Well, you don't want to light a candle in in the dry brush in California either. That that is very, yeah. I got to take a moment to to make mention of of their clothing. 
Oh, yes. Um, what, what was the gentleman's name again? St- He's Steven. Steven. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he is dressed in the classic Miami Vice uh, jacket and t-shirt ensemble. And she's dressed like a sister wife. <laughs> I I have a couple. She really I, is, I, Gina. <laughs> I, I totally get you with the Miami Vice of his outfit. I have a, I have a couple other descriptions I wanted to sail past you guys. Let's, let's see. Um, Steven is dressed like Gene Simmons' stand-in during the filming of Runaway. <laughs> wow, that is deep cut. That wow. Is a deep cut. <laughs> wow. Uh, Steven is dressed like a mime trying to get a loan from a bank. Steven is donning what can only be described as a casual zoot suit. I, I would say that uh, that Stephen is dressing like he got the ten o'clock spot at at Mister Ha Ha. <laughs> oh, oh, that guy was just that's so good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I, the chances are very slim that during his tight five, the phrase "What kind of ad wizards came up with that?" is not mentioned. <laughs> That's probably deep in that tight five, getting ready for his spot on Leno. He's dressed like the little brother of the guy the Terminator stole the clothes from in T2 because he wants to <laughs> he wants to look like his older brother. Uh, he is donning white Reeboks. That is true to form. Uh, that is that is true. Yep. People did dress like this, and then there's. Annette, yeah, I believe sister wife is probably the best way to describe it. Um, I wrote down that uh, Annette has layered her decorative lead shield smock that she stole from an x-ray technician (laughs) with a sweatshirt underneath. I don't. There's some, there's some, there's some, I feel there might be some magic underwear going on under that, under that outfit. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) Well, there's a very deep V on that. And as a person who, I am the only authority, I believe, in this group that actually donned magic underwear at any given point. I can, I don't know that I would have been able to pull off her outfit for a number of reasons. Um, Floral floral patterns really aren't your style, Patrick. I mean, I gotta say, I mean, I've never seen you in in the flesh, but going by pictures, you're not a floral patterns type of person. I'm a solids. Yeah. (laughs) I say give it a shot, man. You know, you know, it's summer's coming, buddy. Like, you know, like. (laughs) That's true. Yeah, you know, we might not we not we might not be around for long. Why yeah, not like, loose and see what yeah, happens? Who knows, man? Yeah, get yourself should... a, a nice floral romper. A rompim? Is that what they're called? Rompins? Is that what it is? Yeah. The male romper. That, that that was the joke from at the time of this taping, maybe five days ago, and it feels like a fucking eternity. <laughs> I don't want one. I don't know why. <laughs> that outfit just defies rational thought i mean it is literally a crime both of fashion and nature itself i don't understand it uh it's cinched in a place that it shouldn't be cinched and blousy in places that seem like they should be blousy but it more looks like she's wearing a decorative sombrero (laughs) oh my god that's funny you know who they across her torn. you know who they look like they look like a couple like when we were in like 10th or 11th grade where like one guy from a group of friends got together with a girl from a very different group of friends and nobody saw it coming and it lasted for like six months 
Like, that's what this looked like to me. You know, it was just very bizarre. <laughs> they don't seem to have a lot in common other than the fact that they... Well, he, she wants to bone, but... He gives a lot of excuses. Oh, he gives yeah, a I, laundry I, list of excuses. Yeah, I couldn't follow what was going on there. And then I realized, oh, it's some sort of weird foreplay shit. Okay. The difference between this scene and some and uh, what happened earlier in the film with, with Darren and Elizabeth is that, you know, those two were played by actors who were good, I guess. <laughs> and these two aren't as much uh i mean tony goldwyn obviously went on to a much bigger career and it seems like the director's wife knows what she's doing it's a good thing that she was cast but these two i can't remember ever seeing them before this movie or ever seeing them after and i if this section was on their reel i know why (laughs) well gina i wrote down uh, two reasons why he didn't want to have sex. He didn't want to have sex because he'd been working out and it was a messy job. <laughs> a, That's what you wanted. That's what you wanted. A here. messy job. <laughs> I don't know what that means, I, but... It's the height of romance oh, is what yeah. it is. <laughs> uh, you're just a real pig. I don't think I want to have sex with you out in the woods. <laughs> You know, on this crusty little dirty blanket I found. (laughs) Whenever our private parts touch, you know, things happen that are untoward. It's um, grossness. I'm Steven. Okay. I, it, it makes me think that they're both virgins and they don't understand how sex works. Which, which would possibly bring me back to my theory that, that, that they are Mormons. There you go. Yeah. Maybe she's escaped a, a cult, and this is their first time in, in reality. <laughs> or or maybe he just needs to hear the theme from Miami Vice in order to maintain erection. Who knows? But when he agrees to it, I mean, he goes right in, and like he is immediately trying to take her the top part of her sister wife dress off, like immediately yeah, trying to go for it. Yeah, he's going full Pepe Le Absolutely. His, uh, he changes his mind. <laughs> uh, excuse me, I'm going to go back in time and write that down, that he that he looks like a Pepe Le Pew, uh, also looking for a bank loan. <laughs> this, yeah, that might have been the better one. This is where the costuming really breaks down. I know that we've gone and taken the costuming in Friday the 13th movies to task over time, Gina, mm. but this is a premier example of terrible 80s fashion on display you have to wonder did these people show up with their own clothes because i i I do know that that's a thing with with movies sometimes particularly those that are on a a fairly limited budget is just having the actors just show up in something they took out they they took from their own closet and it's just like i I can't imagine they walked in the director like yeah it looks good let's go with it (laughs) but i mean the, the characters are are on screen for such a limited time that I can't imagine this was done to add some dimension to these people whose combined screen time is maybe minute and a half at the most. Super odd. Their their lovemaking is disrupted, if we can call it lovemaking. We don't know if they're really in. There. I, I don't think we're that not on the inside of their d- relationship. They're not on the the quite at that point yet. <laughs> <laughs> I'd actually I'd actually misremembered this. I thought that this was a sex kebab. But it, it, it was not. So that brings us brings me to our next question. It, Stephen witnesses Jason continuing to hack away at, at, at Martin, who apparently is having difficulty dying 
to Jason's <laughs> specific demands, runs back, grabs Annette, and they jump on the back of his motorcycle. They're going to go tell the sheriff, which is a good plan. Jason then pops out of nowhere and stabs both of them. And my question is, are we at a sex kebab slash sad sandwich here? Or is this as close to to a get bunked situation as we're going to get in this movie? I, I Yeah, I think so. Can we call it a sad sandwich because they're both fully clothed? And but I, it's because they have so many clothes. <laughs> there is a lot of fabric between the two of them. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they were get, about to have sex, and they still have all their clothes. Yeah, on. yeah. I could say this was the, the this is the get bunked of the movie. Yeah, I think it's as close to a get bunked as we're gonna get, and I just don't want the string. I don't want the streak to end. We've had five get bunked situations, and I just, I just don't want it to. Oh, go and away. there are so much better ones coming in later movies. This is true. It's a grand tradition. And so, speaking of grand traditions, R.I.P.D. Stephen and Annette. We never really knew you, and it almost seems like you barely knew. We were <laughs> entering into a marriage that I don't think was well advised. <laughs> I wonder if somebody was making them do this, like, you know, <laughs> forcing them to get married. I'm pretty sure it's not a shotgun situation because I don't think they know how sex works. Yeah, and she was no, drinking it, too. It, it, it's yeah. Because, it's because she's like 25 and the shame of the family because she hasn't married with four children yet. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, you're going to, you're going to fucking marry somebody. <laughs> Listen, listen. If a, if a, if an opening stand-up comedian who is now moving up to featured <laughs> come through town, you're gonna marry that guy. I, I don't care if you have to marry Bozo Sonny Crockett. You're getting married. <laughs> Bozo Sonny Crockett. Oh, that's my Miami Vice. That was good. Man. <laughs> Thank you. And so that brings us once again, speaking of grand traditions, to ours. That's choose your own death venture. And that's where we decide of the deaths that we have witnessed in this particular section of the movie. If you were forced to die in one of those ways, which one would you choose? Would it be to have your neck stabbed with a uh, whiskey bottle? More than likely, that's blended whiskey. I'm just going to go out on a limb. <laughs> Drunks love blended whiskey. Or would you like to die uh, straddling a motorcycle in a sex kebab get bunked situation? And I turn to you, Adam, as our guest to choose first. I'm going to go with the motorcycle because I'll, I'll never be cool enough to own one. So I now here's the, yeah, I think here's the that. question. Do you want to be in the front of the motorcycle or do you want to ride? Bitch? Oh God, that's a good question. <laughs> oh man. Um, I, I don't believe in these colloquialisms. I'm only reporting them. That is no, no. How I, it's I, to. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to shoot the moon here. I'm going to say front because it's in, it's my fantasy and I want to own the bike. We also don't know that Annette doesn't own the bike. That, that the is true. I should, I should, that is true. I shouldn't say that. I'm just, I'm also <laughs> just basing this and I'm probably going to die in like an old 89 escort station wagon. So I'm not going to like have a cool car to die in. So I'm going to go with the, I'm going to go, I'm going to be driving the bike. Very good. All right, Gino, uh, what say you? 
because I, I know it is my destiny if I should end up in a horror movie to to be the comic relief, I have got to go with our good friend, uh, the the very proud high school graduate and the the finest graveyard groundskeeper Forrest Green has ever seen. I'm going to go out like Martin. Okay. Hopefully, um, drunk. Yeah, hopefully, you're... drunk off my ass. I, I hope that when the time comes. I am just in a liquor-soaked stupor and can't even see it coming. Yeah, actually, that's better. You probably don't even feel anything, right? No, I, yeah. I imagine not. Your, your your blood is probably mostly you know ninety percent scotch at that point, so it's just going to pour right out of you. <laughs> I'm surprised he doesn't have a straw and he's not like just sucking it back in on reflex. <laughs> oh, keep in mind, though, Gina. Keep in mind, though, Gina. You're going to have to start naming all your alcohol. That's okay. I name inanimate objects. It's a. It's. I name my computer. I. I just. You know. It's. It's. It's a habit. Okay. I'm fine with that. Mm-hmm. Um. That. Uh, I think I'm going to go with uh, Stephen and Annette's uh, sex kebab on the on the motorcycle. Just pretty much because I think it would be fast, and then I would go out with proof that I touched a woman. <laughs> <laughs> Are yeah, you but, you, but you didn't. I mean, what if you both were still like? I mean, not that there's any way they can medically prove whether or not a young gentleman is, is still a virgin or not when he is deceased. But I mean, like, isn't it sadder though that if you didn't get to that point, you died immediately beforehand? Um, I think that depends on the sex they were about to have, and this is judging them purely <laughs> on sight and sound. And how many clothes she has on. But I'm going to go out on a limb and say... Well, I mean... The, he made out okay. I mean, the, the only info we have is that it was going to be messy. Yes. So I don't know if that's good or bad or or, or what, you know? He, he may have some sort of, um, you know, uh, lawn sprinkler type of ejaculate. <laughs> I don't really know how it works oh, for him. Oh, God. Uh, Annette, but, before we do this, we should talk. <laughs> I need you to sign a waiver. Um, if you're going to be here, you're in the splash zone. Just warning. Here's your tarp. Is she, having, is she, is she about to have sex with Gallagher? <laughs> I mean, she's having sex with a guy who almost opened for Gallagher. That is true. At the, at the, on the county fair circuit. <laughs> exactly. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, reading his, uh, his bio here, uh, he almost opened for Gallagher, too. My apologies. <laughs> he almost opened for Gallagher. Gallagher T O O. He almost opened for Gallagher too, and he ejaculates like he like he's a blue man. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! And so that brings us uh, once again to the unfortunate end to the proceedings here. But uh, Adam, uh, where can people uh, find out more about you and your show? Where do they uh, go? We're on uh, Facebook at My Neighbors Are Dead and on Twitter at My Dead Neighbors uh, and on iTunes at My Neighbors Are Dead. Yeah. Excellent. Check it out, people. Highest recommendation from us. It's a very, very, very funny show. Uh, you should be listening to it right now. Oh, Gina, uh, where can people find you on the internet? Well, I write about 70s and 80s television at tuneintonight.wordpress.com. Excellent. Check it out, people. 
As always, if you want to reach out to us, there's a couple different ways you can do it. Have something brief to say, like, I don't know, 140 characters or less. Why don't you talk to us on Twitter at KillByKillPod. Maybe it's something longer. Email us, uh, KillByKillPod at gmail.com. And we beg, we implore, we plead with you that if you haven't uh, given us a, a nice review on iTunes and you actually like the show, oh, come on, do me a favor, guys. Uh, do me a solid. Why not uh, give us a nice review and, and I will love you eternally. And if you tell us what your favorite kill is from Friday the 13th series, we'll read it right here on the air. That is my solemn promise to you, the Kill by Kill listener. And that does it for us. So for myself and for Adam and for Gina, bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Kill by Kills produced by We Write Good and is intended for entertainment purposes only. Friday the 13th is owned by Paramount Pictures. Jason is owned by New Line Cinema. No infringement is intended. Kill by Kill logo was designed by Josh Hollis. Visit him at joshhollis.com. The Kill by Kill theme was created exclusively for us by Revenge Body. Get the whole track and much, much more at revengebodymemphis.bandcamp.com today.